number three, the Pete Callender Show. That's Callender with a K. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Thanks so much for hanging out. I appreciate it. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. You can also follow me on the Twitter machine at Pete Callender. Um Later on, so at uh, 2.30 here, we're going to chat with U.S. Senator Tom Tillis. Uh, we'll see how many of these topics I can get to with him. Uh, yeah, because I mean, we got the, the immigration issue. Uh, we got the the Madison Cawthorn issue. And uh, we also have the vote on uh, Ukraine and the funding there and on abortion. So let me start there because the vote uh, on the abortion bill in the U.S. Senate. I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> what. So I, I don't understand what the play here is for Chuck Schumer. I, I, I'm trying to figure it out because I don't really. I don't understand why the juice is worth the squeeze on this for him, you know. Um, well, here, here, here's the background. So even Chuck Todd at N, uh, NBC talking about the women's. Sorry, the Birthing Persons Health Protection Act. Um, Michael Graham, writing at DelawareValleyJournal.com, also points out that the term woman is only used in the title (laughs) of the bill. It appears nowhere else in any of the other language in the bill. But Senate Democrats are headed for a show vote on abortion that risks dividing their party, depressing their base, and looks all but certain to be defeated. So it's a win-win-win. Here, get this. You know who Senator Bob Casey Jr. is? Have you heard us talking about, uh, you got Roe v. Wade, and then you also have Planned Parenthood v. Casey, right? Casey. U.S. Senator Bob Casey Jr. from Pennsylvania, that was his dad, okay? In the Casey decision. Bob Casey has been running around and running for office, pitching himself as a pro-life Democrat. But because of this vote on the Birthing Persons Health Protection Act, Casey now has signed on to it. It is one of the most radical abortion laws ever proposed. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says he's going to call on his fellow senators to use the Reed rule and kill the filibuster, the legislative filibuster, in order to pass the Women's Health Protection Act or the WIPA. And they can do that with just 50 votes. Okay, that's why you would get rid of the Reed rule. So you could pass it with 50. All right. So now Bob Casey has to fall in line. Whereas he's been trying to cultivate this, you know, this persona, this uh, this public record of I'm a pro-life Democrat. Just don't ask me to vote on any kind of pro-life legislation. right? <laughs> and so now he's had to he's had to cast. He's going to have to cast a vote because his own party leader is requiring him to do so. And he comes down on the pro-choice side of it. I'm going to go into some of the details on what this bill does. All right, so can Schumer get the 50 votes? No, that's the other thing. Why would you be pushing the bill 
And why would you blow up the legislative filibuster for this bill to pass it with just 50 when Joe Manchin has said he won't support it? You can't even get Republicans Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski on board because of some of the provisions you've got in here that, for example, let me just skip ahead to the uh, second part here. It removes protections for health care workers currently found in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. So if you're a devout Catholic or how about this? You're a devout Muslim. And you work in health care and you don't want to participate in an abortion procedure. Well, you could lose your job. And this was what Collins and Murkowski could not get on board with in this bill. Just one of the things. So you can't even get the 50 votes because Manchin's not on board. And uh, in September, Senator Casey was only willing to end the filibuster and bring it to a vote. But now he says, after running as a pro-life Democrat for years, he's going to vote to pass the current version of the bill. Casey has long voted for a 20-week limit on abortion. That was why he said he's pro-life. He's voting for a 20-week limit. The current version of this bill, the WHOOPA, there is no limitation like that. The House version of the bill that passed last fall and this version in the Senate, both of them, would override state laws and create a federal right to an abortion at any point during the pregnancy. That is a position rejected by 70% or more of Americans. So Chuck Schumer does not have the votes to pass a bill that is opposed by 70% of the American public. Are you starting to think that maybe he doesn't want to be the leader of the Senate any longer? (laughs) He's tired. Just give up. I'm out. The original version also declared the whoop is intended to protect the abortion rights of transgender men and non-binary individuals, although the new version does not use the word woman a single time other than in the title, but um, not sure if they've, uh, or that part got stripped out. Yeah, they stripped out that part. The original version uh, declared that it was intended to protect abortion rights of transgender men and non-binary individuals, but they got rid of that. They also got rid of uh, 13 pages because it used to be 26, now it's 13. And the ones that were lost included the the scrapping of the transgender men and non-binary individuals, but it also scrapped uh, the part where it insisted supporting abortion is necessary to oppose white supremacy and anti-black racism and extending reproductive justice to all people regardless of actual or perceived race, color, national origin, immigration status, Sex, including gender identity, sex stereotyping, or sexual orientation. So they got rid of all of that. I like the part, though, to all people, regardless of actual or perceived race. Why is Rachel Dolezal still banished from the public square? Why is she still, like, shunned in in political circles? Remember her? She was the white woman who pretended to be or self-identified as we will use the, the, the correct term now, she self-identified as a black woman and rose through the ranks of the NAACP in like Seattle or something, right? And everybody was so shocked. How dare she do that? But if she identifies as that white, 
What's the problem? Earlier versions of the law also left parental notification laws in place. The new version does not. Parents ending pregnancies simply because they want a son and not a daughter would be legal again. So sex-selective abortions now allowed here. Even China got rid of that, I think. It erases health and safety regulations by allowing non-physicians to provide and perform abortions as well. Yeah, this is a terrible bill. A terrible bill that cannot pass and is opposed by most Americans. The vast majority, 7 out of 10. Why is Schumer pushing it? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Michael Graham, writing at DelawareValleyJournal.com, uh, talking about the, the WAPA, which is the Women's Health Protection Act, or probably more accurately, the Birth in Person Protection Act, which would be the BEEPPA. Um, I mean, that's what I call it for short. Anyway, this thing is radical. This is a radical bill, and by forcing his Senate colleagues... To vote on this, Senator Chuck Schumer has jammed up these Democrats, particularly Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, who has pitched himself as a pro-life Democrat. And now he has to sign on to this. And that's out the window. You're not a pro-life Democrat if you're signing on to this bill that allows abortion at any point until exodus from the birth canal. Come on. It's not a popular position. Gets rid of the parental notification rules. Um, it bans them. It bans any of these types of rules. You can't have any of this. Um, what else did it do? The version, uh, right, because Casey had always talked about a 20-week uh, limit. He had, he, he had opposed anything earlier than 20 weeks. It also removes protections for healthcare workers under the RIFRA, the Religious Freedom uh, Restoration Act. And it erases health and safety regulations by allowing non-physicians to now provide and perform abortions. Okay? They don't have the votes to pass this. So why is Schumer doing it? Democrats have gone out of their way to talk about abortion, which party officials believe will help promote turnout for their voters. But that's not actually going to be the case. This is, this is so bad. I mean, for Democrats, probably good for America, but this is so bad for Democrats. That's why they're that's it's the only explanation is that they realize that this red wave isn't even going to be a tsunami. This is going to be this. Is, it has the potential to be cataclysmic. OK, cataclysmic for them, depending on candidates, right, depending on races and all that it. it Every, all of these all of these races have to be won, you know, at the local level by these local candidates. So bad candidates can ruin a, a, a golden opportunity, no doubt about it. However, this must be so bad that they're trying to motivate their base at the expense of what? At the expense of failing to pass a hugely unpopular bill. Maybe they're also counting on, oh, not maybe, they obviously are counting on media to not go over what is in the bill. So we just call it the Women's 
what do they call it? The WAPA, the Women's Health Protection Act. So don't don't pay any attention to what's in it. You know, Chuck Schumer to the media. Don't even bother looking at what's in it. Just it's the Women's Health Protection Act. That's it. And then the media will just promote the fact that Democrats love women. They want to protect women's health. But the base, the activists, they want to see the details. And they'll read these details and they'll say, oh, oh, very good. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, it does every, oh, it does everything and more. We are so, so happy. Oh, Joe Biden's talking about inflation again. I'm sure that'll do it. That'll take care of it. Um, well, I guess maybe it was a two, maybe it was a two day thing. So he started yesterday. It's like a one, two punch. He's going to talk down the inflation yesterday. He starts talking it down and now he's just setting it up to knock it down today. Those speeches will do it, Joe. Um, Democrats have gone out of their way to talk about abortion, which party officials believe will help promote turnout for their voters in November's midterms. But some pundits are beginning to speculate Democrats may have gone too far. (gasps) No, only Republicans overreach. After his speech on inflation, President Biden was asked by a reporter whether he supports any restrictions on abortion, and he declined to answer. And he said, I want the story to be, uh, sorry, I want the story to be about inflation. He wanted the story to be about inflation. And he got his wish. Media complied. And as we all know, elections are about what media make them. They are participants in the political arena, right? So... That's what they're counting on. That's my assessment. They're counting on media not to tell you what's in the bill. If you are consuming sort of legacy media, mainstream media, corporate media, if you, you, you're not going to get all of those details. You'll have to go click some links to find the actual legislation or something, right? But the base will know what's in it. And they know it'll fail. But that's, that's worth it because they need to motivate the base because they got nothing else going for them. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. We were just talking about um, latest up in the Senate with the abortion uh, vote. But there's a bunch of other stuff going on. And so we want to welcome back to the program U.S. Senator Tom Tillis from North Carolina. How are you, Senator? Good afternoon. I hope you're doing well. I am. I am. I am. I'm doing well. So uh, where do we stand on that vote uh, on the the Women's Health Protection Act? Uh, It's supposed to happen today, right? Yeah, it'll be coming up today, and of course our phones are blowing up here, and the Democrats are simply misleading the the public. We're getting calls saying this is just simply codifying Roe v. Wade. Couldn't be further from the truth. The uh, proposed text allows taxpayer-funded abortions, would require religious uh, medical organizations to perform abortions or be subject to lawsuits allows a minor to have no consultation uh, before having an abortion up to the day of the birth. Uh, uh, It uh, allows non-doctors to perform abortions, and it really gets worse from there. So, Pete, I I think that the Democrats need to be honest with people of North Carolina and the nation that this is not about codifying Roe v. Wade. This is literally passing the most extreme pro-choice taxpayer-funded abortion legislation in the history of this country. 
Let me ask you also about the the vote that just went down for the funding for Ukraine. So is this, I, I, I get the sense like we're kind of walking towards a proxy war with Russia here or, or we are already there. Am I am I wrong about that? Yeah, I, you know, I'd, I'd have to disagree. Um, I, I think what we have to look at are a uh, a lot of risks, not the least of which is that Russia invaded a nation whose borders they recognized as sovereign borders. Uh, Russia was trying to test NATO. They thought we would fracture. We've responded in kind. You know, I get that we don't want to engage ourselves in a war. I don't think it's a proxy war because it's not like the United States went to Zelensky and said, hey, we want you to pick a fight with Russia. Proxy wars happen when two nations encourage other people indigenous to a country to fight on their behalf. That's not what's happening here. Russia invaded a country. They thought that they were going to break NATO. They thought they were going to break the EU. But now what they've created is a potential humanitarian crisis in North Africa, given a great opportunity for ISIS, Boko Haram, Al-Shabaab, when famines or starvation begin over the next year, which could happen if we don't figure out how to get wheat, grains uh, out of Ukraine to these countries that uh, Egypt alone realized 50 percent of all their wheat imports come from uh, 50 percent of all their wheat consumption comes from Ukraine. We've got a geopolitical firestorm that could occur. And I believe we owe it to the people of Ukraine to let them fight the fight and provide them the resources they need to stand up against the superpower. Did you see the photo of Putin with the blanket on his legs and everyone saying this is indicative that he's got some health problems? Uh, what's your what's your read on that? Is this? Well, he's, he is scheduled to have uh, surgery, I think, for some uh, cancer ailment. Yeah. I think that there's credible arguments that he's undergone therapies, either steroids or chemotherapy, because he's exhibited some of the symptoms of the side effects. Uh, he, um, I, I, I think that he... Uh, his mental acuity may have diminished when you see what he thought he was going to get accomplished in Ukraine and what's occurred. He's underestimated every step of the way. He overestimated the Russian army's ability to execute a conventional fight, and he underestimated the West's ability to, to counter and respond. Uh, you know, I hope, you know, the one thing, Pete, about Russia history that we should keep in mind is about Two to five years after a Russian leader makes a huge strategic mistake, they tend to no longer be in power. And I hope that this is the end of end of days for Vladimir Putin and for the Russian, many Russian people who don't want to be in this war, don't want to be brainwashed and don't want to serve under a despot. One of the arguments I saw criticisms of some of this spending, uh, particularly on the right, was, hey, why are we trying to protect Ukraine's border if we're not protecting our border? Uh, and uh, then there was the story at the Hill that there are these talks that are kind of getting started. I don't know if they're I mean, if they are, you can tell you can tell me. But Senator John Cornyn, you're quoted in the piece as well, talking with Senator Dick Durbin, as well as uh, is it is it Padilla or Padilla from uh, uh, California? Padilla. 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 So let me just start with a basic question on the border and a potential crafting of a solution, what would your fix look like? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question, and I hope people listen to this. Uh, Our discussions to this point, because we've got some crazy organizations, say the mere fact that I would sit down with anybody 
means that I'm at the table to promote amnesty. Here's the substance of the discussion so far. If we don't figure out a way to cut the future flows, to eliminate the risk of 3 million people crossing the border over the next 12 months after 2 million crossed the last 12 months when only a half a million crossed in the final year of the Trump administration, do you honestly think that I would sit down and say we want to provide amnesty and double or triple the future flows? Anybody with any sense at all should know that I would never stand for something like that. Our discussions to this point have been on detention. We are tired of the catch and release policies, and we made it very clear for us to have any discussion about immigration reform. We have to have a solid commitment that says that people who cross the border illegally will be detained. They'll have an opportunity to present a credible fear case, and we know that about 80% of them are going to be denied, and then they need to be um, sent back to their country of origin, period. That's the substance of the discussion today. And I've said, unless we get that cornerstone, that policy that will prevent future flows of 3 million or more people coming to this country, unless we get consensus on how that looks, no other discussions are going to take place. Well, and that's what kind of... That's why I didn't understand what Senator Durbin's comment was in the Hill. He said it's complicated by what's going on at the southern border. If that gets progressively worse, it will soak up all the energy on immigration. And in my mind, wouldn't it do the opposite? Wouldn't it create a greater urgency to fix it? Because the optics would be awful. Look, Pete, the only reason we're having these discussions is that the American people are sending a very clear message to Washington, a majority, including independents and Democrats, that the loss of control over the border, the failed policies of the Biden administration have resulted in 2 million people coming in the first 12 months of this president's administration. And now with Title 42 being dropped, 3 million or more can come through. And what's that's disturbing by itself, but we also have to talk about the nearly 10,000 people that crossed the border illegally last year came across in the dark of night to evade border patrol because we all know that the vast majority of them have criminal records and malign intentions in this nation. Arguably five to 10,000 gang members, drug traffickers, um, human traffickers coming across this border last year and an equal or greater number this year. Um, The Democrats, particularly in the border states, are recognizing that the American people are turning against it. It's flooding our uh, nation, Um, uh, and, and I mean every state in the nation, with people we don't know who they are. We don't know what their intentions are. No doubt some could come here and and be able to present a credible case to say they fear for their life and their country of origin. It could be any number of reasons, but the vast majority, 80 percent, can't. And we've got to have policies that secure the border. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about the story in the Washington Post regarding the email or the text exchange with Congressman Cawthorn <laughs> about. Uh, so why is your wife attacking me on Twitter? He asked you and uh, you said just spitballing, but maybe because you attacked her husband. <laughs> and uh, I thought yeah, it was. It, 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 <laughs> You know, well, thanks for asking the question. The first thing I'd say to Madison Cawthorn is man up. Number one, uh, do that. Number two, 
recognized that uh, that was a time when Madison Cawthorn had put out a video the night before saying that he was going to turn his back on 90% of the people who were going to continue to be in the district he was elected in and go run in another district. Um, but the fact of the matter is, you know, I, I'd love for people to, you know, think that uh, me and my wife are like some sort of political machine that go out and meddle in elections. Doesn't happen. We didn't have the discussions that he's talking about. Uh, he got mad because my wife happened to agree with somebody in the new district that they were perfectly capable of finding somebody who lived in that district. And maybe Madison shouldn't have turned his back on 90% of the people he was going to leave behind and run in another district 11 months after he was elected. So, you know, like I said, just man up or woman up, whatever you want to say. But, you know, don't come to me and whine about a social media tweet. Why don't you answer to the people of Western North Carolina about the egregious behavior you've exhibited over the last year? I do, do recommend. Yeah, and I do recommend you follow uh uh, folks, follow your wife. I do uh, on Twitter. I do recommend that. I do. So, uh, hey, I uh, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll have you back on whenever you'd like. Okay. Take All care. Right, take care. Thank you, you, sir. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So, in case you aren't aware of what that last question I threw to Senator Tillis was about, the Washington Post had this story last November. Last November, Congressman Madison Cawthorn texted his state's junior Senator Tom Tillis about a tweet from the senator's wife. Cawthorn had just announced that he was planning to switch districts, and Susan Tillis took to Twitter to criticize the move. And so Cawthorn sent to... Tillis, a text that said, why is your wife attacking me on Twitter? The senator replied he had not seen his wife's tweet. I did, by the way, uh, but suggested Cawthorn did not need to look far for a possible reason. Quote, just spitball in here, but maybe because you attacked her husband. And Cawthorn, this is what Cawthorn responded with. Quote, I don't feel like I've attacked you that much. Okay. That much. He said, I think I've said I don't think you're conservative enough. Did not realize that made us enemies. Well, it doesn't make us friends. <laughs> what? what? When you use people in your own party as campaign material, right, to fundraise off of, to position yourself away from, to say this person in your party is not a real fill-in-the-blank, like you're not... Uh, that you're, I'm better than him because I do this or that or don't do this or that, right? It doesn't matter to me what party it is. It doesn't matter to me what the uh, what the philosophies it played. None of that matters. It just matters. Like, you don't get to pick a fight with your own teammate and then expect, first off, that teammate not to say anything back to you. This is It's one of these things that always amazes me. People think that the other team doesn't get an at-bat. They do. They get to take a swing at you, too. I know I'm mixing my sportsing metaphors between the baseball and, and, the, and the boxing, but um, they got some uh, quotes here. So Carlton Huffman, a Republican operative from North Carolina who is supporting Chuck Edwards in that primary against Cawthorn, said, quote, Madison decided to throw elbows at these people. 
He believes that there are new rules of politics in the Trump era and you don't have to kiss anybody's ring in the established party. Fine. That is fine. You you then should continue to operate like that, but you don't get you don't get to throw the elbows and then complain that somebody smacked you back, especially a family member of the person you're attacking. This is one of those things in politics and in media people outside do not do not understand this. It is harder on the family, the family members, because, like, you can say whatever you want about me. People already have. I literally don't care. Seriously. I I do not care what people have to say uh, when they attack me because usually it's in bad faith. Now, constructive criticism I will take to heart. I will listen to it. I will self-examine for, like, a second or two. No, I'm kidding. But, no, I I do do that. However, um. If you come at me just wanting a fight, I'm gonna I'm your Huckleberry, right? I'm happy to engage with people at a policy level. I'm also happy to throw elbows with you as well. I'm perfectly capable and qualified to do both. So the uh, the family though, they see someone they love being attacked. A lot of people don't understand what that's like for the family members to see a loved one being attacked. And want to be able to say something, want to be able to defend their family member, who sometimes they look at the family member and they're like, why aren't you defending yourself? And the politician or the media person, whoever it is in the public eye, they're like, this is not a big deal. Just there. It's a troll. You just ignore them, whatever. But to the family member, they're like, you need to fight back because I want to defend you, too. So I got no problem with Tillis's wife, Susan. I have no problem with her going after Gawthorne over that. And it was a pretty good line, too. So, yes, that's what that was about. Brett Winterville coming up next. Stay tuned and uh, don't break anything while I'm gone.